0: And I did notice, some of you may or may not have, that I um, was up here for Mother's Day as well. So I don't know if they're trying to say something about the fact that I have t- too many kids or, or what. Because um, I'm pretty sure I hold the record for the most kids on the teaching team. Um, I'm pretty sure. I'm not positive. I'd have to count it out. But I noticed. Um, Let's just bow our heads and pray really quick before we get started. Thank you, God, for this day, for your word and for the knowledge that we've come to gather out of it. God, I ask for your presence through my words today, that they would find their way into our hearts and do their work and that you would accomplish what you've set out to do, that you would encourage us and strengthen us, bring us closer to you and make us whole. In Jesus' name, everybody said I love saying that. It's so old school. I was secretly hoping that the air conditioning would break today because I grew up going to church camp, so I love hot church. Like, there's just something about it. Like, when we're upstairs on Thursday nights, the A.C. doesn't work very well up there, and it's great. It's, like, 88 degrees. It's, like, way too hot. It's stifling. It's perfect. Um, So I secretly love hot church. It's nice to come into the A.C., but there's just something about it. Um, I am going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19, so you can feel free to page there, otherwise Elena will have them on the screen. I sent them to her at 5.30 this morning, I think, and then quickly said, oops, sorry, hopefully that didn't wake you up, um, because I'm an early riser. 1 Kings 19, um, and a little bit of backstory, this is, we're looking at a man named Elijah who was a prophet. In this time period, and we're getting one little glimpse into his life, into an into an experience that he had, that many of us have, many of us frequently have, some of us struggle with it all the time. And um, kind of kind of where we're at, just to do a little bit of a backstory of Spade work is, he had just come from the contest at Mount Carmel, which many of you are familiar with that story from the Bible, but if you're not, uh, all these, Israel is turned com- completely away from God because they're under bad leadership, which is a, a theme with the people of Israel. It's, a, it's an ongoing, It's a, it's like a cycle, right? It's like it happens every year, you know, it's kind of like, it, it's like the way we expect the seasons. That's the history of Israel. They keep, they, good leadership, things go well. Bad leadership, things take a turn for the worse. And then they turn back to God, and it's like this cycle that repeats and repeats and repeats over hundreds of years. And so there's all these prophets for this false god called Baal. And there's this contest where Elijah says, well, okay, if, if the Lord is God then he's going to burn up this sacrifice that I'll put on one. And, and, if, and if he's not, then, then your God Baal will burn up the sacrifice. right? So there's this great big victory. God burns up um, Elijah's sacrifice. All the prophets of Baal are destroyed. There's this big major victory. And then right after that, because there's been a drought this whole time, because Elijah prophesied that there would be a drought because God was judging the nation of, of Israel, He says, you know, there's going to be no rain for a few years. So three years later, roughly three years, the rain comes. Elijah gets to say that the rain comes. So there's like this culmination. There's this big contest, right? There's this big victory for Elijah. And then there's the culmination of this giant project, right? There's the culmination of this thing that took a few years to fight through that Elijah was part of. Really, and um, right after all of that, the leadership that is poor in spirit, not monetarily is is informed of all that um, that Elijah did, and uh, we're going to start right at verse one so you, that's kind of catching you up. But uh, we'll start right at verse 1. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way that he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. So Jezebel's like not really Elijah's biggest fan. You know, she's familiar with his work, but she's not like a huge fan of it. And in the next verse, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Now, a lot of you have heard this little section of scripture talked about many, many times. And for good reason. There's a lot that we can draw from it. Probably going to bring a little bit different perspective today. But Elijah, this is what I would call, right, because of my history and competition and doing things that I've done in my life. I would call this, well, we'll get to in a second. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. That doesn't make sense. There's all this power that he has access to. He just had this huge victory. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. Sometimes, we make ourselves alone. And I don't know, I get the sense prophetically that there's somebody here that's been making themselves alone not just because you've gone through this thing where you've had this huge upswing right like a high point in life and then it comes crashing down because it doesn't go the way that you thought it should go maybe even the way that God told you that it would go but it's just not we're not there yet on the timeline and you can make yourself alone he gets he he's afraid and he flees he goes to this town in judah and he leaves his servant there he pushes him away and then he went on alone into the wilderness traveling all day i want to be alone you ever been there raise your hand if you've ever wanted to be alone I love this, because it's like, if you, if, you, if you analyze your life and insert yourself into the text a little bit, just the human nature portion of it, you can totally see yourself. He goes to this town in Judah. He leaves his servant there, pushes his servant away. I don't need you with me anymore. I want to be alone. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day, and he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he would die. I'm going to be alone. I don't need you with me, servant. That's all we know of the servant, is that the servant's name is servant. Okay, so I'm going to go alone, then I'm going to walk into the wilderness for a whole day alone, and then I'm going to find the loneliest tree that I can, and I'm going to sit down underneath the lonely tree, and then I'm going to be lonely. Things didn't go the way I thought they would. I thought after winning the contest, I thought after bringing the rain back prophetically, you know, God through me, I got to speak the words, I thought that things would be different. And everybody still hates me. So I'm going to go be alone under the lonely tree, a broom tree, because I've got to clean up my life. That was a good joke. You guys are, you, guys are, you need to wake up. I want to be really really alone. Elijah creates this artificial loneliness. He creates it, the environment that he that he, he 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 puts himself into the place where the outside of where he is reflects the way he feels inside. I feel alone. I feel abandoned, so I'm going to put myself in an abandoned place under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. You know, This, I was just talking to Katie about this this morning. I had not told any I had not told her that yet about this until um, just today I think it was maybe a week or two ago um, i I woke up one morning it's I wake up generally before everybody else just because that's the way God made me i guess and um you know when you wake up and you can't really see that well and it's kind of dark and it's kind of whatever but you wake up and you can't really see that great and i put on some glasses and you know how sometimes even though you put your glasses on if you're old like me i'm 32 i need glasses now once i crested 30 it's going downhill i know some of you guys are like you're young just wait till you're 50 just wait till you're i know i'm not looking f- i'm not looking forward to it but i put on these glasses and i'm like what what is going on here? Like, like, we gotta adjust, you know, the ocular lens a little bit, what's going on? Um, and then I realized that perhaps during some uh, biblical study of biblical sexuality, perhaps the wrong glasses had made their way to my side of the bed. So, man, you guys are like, am I in the Coon Rapids morgue? Oh my gosh. You're making me uncomfortable. So anyway, during the course of our study on biblical sexuality, God's way, the wrong set of glasses had made their way onto my nightstand. So I have these glasses on, and I'm like, I can't see at all. Like, what is going on? And then I'm like, look at them, and I'm like, I start doing this. I'm like, oh, they're not my glasses. Elijah's going through the same thing. He's got on the wrong set of glasses. Sometimes you have on the wrong set of glasses. You're looking through the wrong lens. It's not the right prescription. It's too strong. It's too weak. But it's not what God's prescribed for you. So we come to Elijah back again alone. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, the loneliest tree he could find, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Creating that pocket of loneliness, forcing his outside surroundings into the way he feels inside. And then he laid down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there was beside his head, right? And there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones in a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. Everybody say provision. Everybody say provision again. I, am gonna, I I say this to my kids sometimes. I'm going to make you guys do jumping jacks if we can't, like, get the ball rolling a little bit here. Oh, my word. The spirit of heaviness. It's not 100 degrees in here. This is cold church. Everybody wake up. Or I'm going to shut the AC off. We need some hot church to wake you guys up. God provides. Even when you're not where you're supposed to be. Even when you put yourself in the lonely place, God will provide. Even when you're under the broom tree, where you shouldn't be, because everything is going exactly according to God's plan. Maybe not yours, but definitely God's. He'll provide provision then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said get up and eat some more this angel does not know anything about portion control get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you everybody say enough everybody say provision Not just provision when you're under the broom tree. When you're not where you're supposed to be. But enough provision for what's ahead. God will provide. God will provide what you need for the next step. God knows exactly what you need. It's funny, before this started I was talking to somebody about having four daughters, because I'm like the, the parental day teacher now, so you're welcome. I have lots of experience. I think I have a cumulative of 10, 17, let's see, 21. So 22 years as a parent. Yes, I am 32, and no, I did not start when I was 10, but I had it's the cum- cumulative ages of all my kids. So I have a lot of experience. I was talking about having four daughters, and You know, what always happens whenever I say that I have four daughters is, oh, I I can't imagine what it's like in your house. And I'm like, no, you can't. And And then after I say that, they say, just wait till they're teenagers, right? Just wait till they're teenagers, right? At least we have a male dog. Thank you, Marshall. And what I said back was something that we often forget is that God, God provides. He gives you enough grace, but just for, just for today. One day at a time. One day at a time. One day at a time. You know how you get from here to there? You know how you get from here to where you want to be, to where God wants you to be? One day at a time. One decision at a time, one moment at a time. God doesn't give you... Raise your, raise your hand if you're a person who likes to think ahead. I'm a thinker, a header. Always, I'm always planning. I always want to be at the destination. Right now, yesterday actually would be great. Right? God doesn't give you grace for ten years from now. He doesn't give you provision for for what's going to be way down the line. He gives you enough for right now, for today, to get through today, to get through the journey ahead. He gives you enough. Not just enough to just fill your belly for now. No, I, have you, I need you to go from here to there. I'm going to give you enough to do that. Touched him again and said, get up and eat some more or the journey, or, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. Enough provision. Enough provision. God will give me enough so he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. That's a big journey. Can you imagine traveling 40 days and 40 nights? On really two meals, I guess? Are you kidding me? My family can't make it back to Princeton without somebody getting, you know, like, lacerated somewhere, you know, without somebody's claws coming out. Cuz we're, you know, I mean it's not too bad cuz we're Christians. Right? Hunger, hunger changes you. Hunger, hunger changes people. Everybody with a long drive home from church knows what I'm talking about. You can be feeling the spirit at 12:13 and at 12:22 it's a different story. But God gives him enough strength, enough, enough supply to make the journey to Mount Sinai. I think this is interesting, you know, because Mount Sinai, part of, part of the whole problem that Elijah had with everybody, and you'll see in a second, is that there's really nowhere else left. There is no temple. There is no, there is no, there's no altars. There's no places to make sacrifices to God anymore. He built up one, kind of, with 12 stones all by himself to do this contest on Mount Carmel, but all the rest of them are gone. There is no place to worship God, except for the mountain of the Lord. To travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. What's interesting about that is that God gives him enough strength to get to get to the place, the only place, because right? there's no Holy Spirit yet. Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet. There's no direct access yet. So God provides enough energy, enough strength. His provision is enough for Elijah to get to the only place, really, where he can get closer to God. He, he gives him just enough. He makes it. He makes the journey. Now we're getting to the good part. Everybody say this is the good part. Oh, yes. Now, thank you. Much better. Enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. There's a heading in my Bible because I'm using an NLT. There may or may not be in yours. There probably is. But you should notice that there is no break in the verse that heading separates it right for us so that we can find things logically but there's no separation this is this is one paragraph it's it should be attached there there he came to a cave where he spent the night but the lord said to him what are you doing here elijah now recently at work um, I was coached. We'll put it that way, okay? It wasn't real bad. It was. It really was just a phone call that said, hey, Paul, um, you know, just a little, just what, I can't remember how my, my director said it. Just something I want to bring up, you should try to email people the way that you talk to them in real life because people can read emails however they want. People can read text messages with any kind of voice inflection that they want. They can, it, it can depend on their mood. I can send the same, the same exact sentence to the same person six months apart, depending on what's going on in their day. They might read that with two totally different voice tones. Now, we're in danger here of reading, what are you doing here, Elijah, any way that we want. Now, I'll qualify this in a moment because we're going to read more about how God is approaching Elijah in this moment of desperation. But just like I needed to catch myself and not just send things, you know, with periods, you know, I got to throw in some emojis once in a while. Make people feel good, right? Got to make people feel good. But instead of just sending... A sentence I can say hey so-and-so can you please do this for me thanks instead of just this person needs to be seen right so because I might mean that well which I did because I'm not a jerk most of the time but people can read into it however they want and we're in danger of doing the same thing here if we're not careful because a lot of us don't hear the way that God said this, the right way. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Nobody understands. Nobody gets it. Nobody understands what I'm going through. I've done everything that I can right. I'm giving it everything I've got. There's nobody left. Nobody's helping me. I'm all alone. Nothing ever changes. I'm so tired. I'm exhausted, God. This life is exhausting me. Ever been there? I have. I have. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Things are not going according to my plan. Verse 11. This is really the good part. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. I actually like the NIV better here. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. The NIV, I think, says that it it broke the mountain. It shattered the mountain. This is not just like today, like, oh, it's pretty windy outside today. It'd be a great day for sailing. It's not like that. It's way more powerful than that. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. You know, um, we as Christians, just we as people, we tend, to view, we tend to view God as really, really powerful, which he is, so that makes sense. But in thinking that way, always about how all-powerful God is, we, we, we end up only assigning big things to him, right? Like big problems. The movie Incredibles, right? That's one of I have four kids, right? The, the second one, the newest one. There's a, there's a moment where Mr. Incredible is, is talking to this guy who wants to bring superheroes back, And he gets all upset because uh, Mr. Incredible is really messy, right? And he's like, well, heavyweight problems require heavyweight solutions. And we end up thinking of God kind of that way. Like he's just like only the big punches, right? Like he only deals with big problems. And God does have infinite power right he is omnipotent he is all powerful he is that's the way he is he has the power to blow things away he has the power to shake things loose he has the power to burn things up and sometimes right even in the old testament god is in the fire God is in the wind. God was a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. Sometimes that's where God is. Sometimes that's where God is. In fact, a lot of times. Right? Sometimes that's where God will show up in your life is in one of these big situations. One of these big desperate needs. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And you know what it doesn't say there? It doesn't say that the Lord wasn't in the gentle whisper, implying that he was. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Nothing is too big for God. Nothing is too big for God. Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing that's too big for him. There's no problem in this world that is too big for God to, in the universe, for God to, to it's, there's nothing that's too big for him to solve. God is not wringing his hands worried about what's happening on this planet. Okay, he's not. He's just not. God is not worried about the gas prices of America. Okay, you and I are, definitely right? I'm going to have to start getting plasma to get back and forth to work. Amen? But God's not worried about that. He's not worried about wars and rumor of war. Like, He's compassionate, but he's not worried. Does that make sense? I don't want to make it sound like God doesn't care because he does, but it doesn't like make him nervous like, oh my goodness, how am I going to figure this out? God's not worried. He's not. There's nothing too big for God. What I'm here to say to you today is just the opposite. And both are true because God is infinite, amen? He's omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere at once. And when you have a God like that, when you serve a God like that, because if he wasn't those three things, he wouldn't really be God. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around the fact that he's equally concerned with the most terrible things that are happening on this planet on a large scale, wars and rumors of wars and the th- you know, economies falling apart and, 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 and. And that he's equally invested in the fact that you want to stop biting your fingernails. And we laugh, but it's true. There's nothing too big for God, but there's also nothing too small. There's nothing too small for God. Your problem that's been keeping you awake at night. With tears on a pillow, a child that won't come back to God, a relationship that's broken, a habit you want to stop, a work relationship that's that's just dysfunctional. The worry over something small. There's nothing too small for God. He wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the whirlwind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He was in the gentle whisper. Sometimes God will come to you in a pillar of fire and blaze a trail that you get to follow, and it's exciting, and it's wonderful, and it's amazing, and serving God is an adventure that I never thought that I would be on. It's great. But sometimes God doesn't do it that way. Sometimes that's not what you need. When you're under the broom tree of life, asking God to take you out, sometimes I joke with God, I'm like, hey, you know, if I leave this building, if you could just strike me with lightning, that'd be awesome, C and in five, you know, right? Like we joke because we have hope. I'm not scared of dying. Do I want to die? No. But Elijah's to the point, he's in the same place. He's like, man, I am done. I'm exhausted. I just want to send out under this broom tree and kick the bucket. Like, I'm, I'm tired of this. That's not too small for God. God is not only concerned with the big picture. He's concerned with the smallest hang-up that you have the smallest thing that's bothering you. Nothing is too small for God because he's infinite. He's infinite. There's so much God, there's so much of him that he is just as invested in you as he is in all the rest of the people for all time if you were the only person that he would have had to send Jesus to the cross for, he would have done it. He would have done it because he's infinite. He's 100% invested in you. You are the most important thing in the world to him. That doesn't make sense to us, right? Because our hearts are divided. What percentage of myself am I going to give to my job? What percentage of myself can I can I give to my family? You know, I'll give this little bit over here to uh, volunteering at church and then, oh, I really don't have a lot of personal time anymore, but I have this hobby that's kind of important to me. Right? We we can't operate the way that God does. We're finite. God is not bound up by the same ropes that we are. So it's hard for us to grasp. But you need to remember <laughs> if from nothing else, from my little chat with you here today, that there's nothing too small for him. There's not one little teeny tiny aspect of your life that is unimportant to him. Everything matters to him. Everything. He's infinite, not just in power, knowledge, and presence, but in mercy, in kindness, in faithfulness, in righteousness, in humor, in creativity, in justice, and in love. For God so loved the world. He didn't just love the world, he so loved the world that he gave his only son so that you might not perish, but will have everlasting life. Because we, I, Can sometimes get wrapped up into thinking just the big picture, right? Like Jesus died so that the church could have everlasting life. No, 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 no. He died so that you could. God is so concerned about preserving a relationship with you. Like, yes, you, not the general you, the individual you. You as a person. You with your problems. You with your hang-ups. You with your talents. You with your victory. Sometimes we think that, too. Like, oh, this little victory that I had today is no big deal. It's just happened. and God doesn't really care about this. Yes, he does. Of course he does. He sent his son to die on the cross for you. Of course every little aspect of your life is important to him, and he wants to hear about all of it. Because he loves you that much. That relationship is so valuable to him. When Elijah heard the gentle whisper, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I'm going to turn. I have one extra verse. I know this might be a record for me reading a lot, but here we are. The Gospel of John, chapter 5. You knew you weren't getting out of here without something out of the Gospels. That's how I roll. Starting at verse 1. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda. With five covered porches, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, laid on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, everybody say a long time. For a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? Would you like to be made well? What are you doing here, Elijah? Would you like to get well? Verse 7. I can't, sir. The sick man said, For I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Life isn't going the way that I thought it would. I never win, I always lose. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. Would you like to get well? I can't, sir. You've been ill for a long time, paralyzed for a long time. 38 years is a long time to lie by a pool and to lose over and over and over. Occasionally, in life, there's seasons, right? Like I was talking about with Israel earlier. There's seasons. Seasons where you win. Seasons where you lose. Seasons where it's transitioning from one to the other. Life is full of them. They make up life, really. When we're... (laughs) Sometimes it seems like the cycle gets put on pause. But usually it only feels that way when we're in a a losing streak. Do you know what I mean? Like you don't really notice when you're on like a really long winning streak. You're like, this is great. Life is awesome. But sometimes we get to that point where we just want to give up. And we get to that point where we're under the broom tree or by the pool. And Jesus says to us, What are you doing here? Would you like to be made well? And our answer is, I I can't. I, I can't. I can't be made well. I'm unwell. That's who I am. I'm broken. I want to sit under this broom tree and die. I, I gave up 38 years ago. I had hope for a few weeks, and I've been here ever since. In the broken season, in the downturn season. I can't. I've left everybody behind. I've pushed everybody away. I walked into the wilderness. I'm all alone. Nothing's working. I quit. That's the place where it's not the fire, it's not the earthquake, and it's not the wind that's where God meets you with a whisper. That's where Jesus comes to you as a God who can whisper. He's not just a God who can be big and loud and dramatic and work miracles. He's a God who can whisper to you in your hour of greatest need and meet you exactly where you need to be met. Jesus is the God of the whisper. I can't. I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always wins the contest, always gets the promotion, always gets on church staff ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly the man was healed. You know, serving the God of the whisper, which he is sometimes, not all times, serving the God of the whisper is really hard when you're looking for something big. I say this a lot. Upstairs. You are designed to hear from God, right? Because whose image are you made in, right? Really, you're made in God's image. I mean, if we believe that the God of the Bible is true, if we believe that Jesus, a man named Jesus of Nazareth existed and died on a cross a couple thousand years ago, everything really hinges on that. So if we believe all of that to be true and we take that God created everything and that he created us in his image, if he made us to be a mirror of him, He didn't design you with stuff that he didn't want to. He didn't design humans to, like, really struggle to hear from God or, like, to have only some people that have, like, the secret formula, right? Like, I don't have some secret formula or a red telephone in my room that I can pick up and ask God questions to get lesson material, right? I don't have that. I don't have a red telephone. You are designed just like you're designed to breathe oxygen and exhale carbon whatever monoxide dioxide dioxide thank you scientists science people you're designed to inhale oxygen and have it nourish your body in the same way god created you to hear from him and be nourished by that and it doesn't always show up with some big miraculous event i mean i wish i was pepping you guys up more but this is just what god gave me and this is what's true God will meet you right where you're at. No matter how shattered into pieces you are. Even if you're telling him to hit you with a bolt of lightning under the broom tree. It's it, it can be hard if you're always looking for the big thing. You're designed to hear from God when He whispers to. You don't always have to look for a sign. You don't always have to look for the miraculous because the miraculous can happen in the form of a whisper, just like that, when you're all alone, wondering what you're going to do next, how you're going to carry on. God will provide. Let's stand. If you take nothing else from this today, I want you to try and say to yourself this week when you're anxious, when you're worried, when you're depressed, when something goes sideways, that there's nothing too small for God. There's nothing too small for God. You need a parking spot at church. There's nothing too small for God. There's nothing too small for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for this opportunity to come and worship you for who you are and what you've done. And we thank you for being the God of the whisper when we need it most. I pray that your word would sink into the hearts of your people today, not just through what I've said, but what Tim is coming to say and through worshiping you because you are worthy and deserving of that praise. We thank you for meeting us exactly where we needed to be met today. We pray that your word would be true and that we could take it in and apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you.